Our speaker for this session is our brother Randy Martin. Uh, Randy has been preaching in Minnesota for over 32 years. A um, lot of extensive work up there. Uh, he's at the South Twin Cities Church of Christ, and he's been there 26 years. 20 of those years, he's been an elder there. Um, he has married his high school sweetheart, Robin, and has been privileged to be married to her for 40 years this November. They have seven faithful children and 22 grandchildren. That's fun. Um, his previous full-time work was starting the church in Awatana, Minnesota. Is that how you say that? Um, he's done extensive work with uh, Bear Valley. He's a graduate of the three-year program at Bear Valley. Um, and he's done work with the extension programs as well. Um, I also just found out, for those of you interested, he is an arm wrestling champion. So, <laughs> so if you want to challenge him, see him after the session, and he'll, uh, he'll show you how it's done. Uh, we're excited for Randy and his session. I'm excited to learn from him. I'm going to talk about hope in a dark world, and I'm excited to hear his lesson. I know it'll be beneficial to all of us. So, Randy, preach the word to us. Twenty-three grandchildren now, by the way, and it, it continues to grow. So, I mean, it's important. You're probably listening to those numbers. Seven kids. Actually, that's not a lot. My oldest son has nine now. Uh, but the number now in our family is 39 people. So getting everybody over every month for family dinners, new challenge. And so sometimes I wonder, how does it end up that your seven children are faithful and they're married to faithful people and you have a evangelist and deacon and then you start realizing God is at work, but he's using us to do, you know, the work. And I remember distinctly when raising my kids, my youngest is 26 now, but I still talk to the grandkids the same, same things. You have to understand the world you're living in and understand how distinct you are. I always try to give them hope, okay? And that is hope in Christ. That is, you're going to be completely different. You're going to stand out. But God can use you and make a difference, and your life can, can be glorious from His perspective. But you got to give Him hope. Because let's face it, the, the, my topic is finding hope in a dark, a dark world. Well, how dark is the world? Now, where is the darkness? What should realistic expectations be? You know, concerning our world. I don't know what lectures that you have been in, but since we got to talk about hope, I'm going to define hope. What is biblical hope? You know, that's different than uh, the American type of hope. The American type of hope could be like, you know, I, I hope the Broncos win tomorrow, you know, or something like that. But it's way different than biblical hope, I hope in Christ. So you, if you've been to other lectures, you've heard hope is best described usually as a desire plus an expectation. And, and so like 1 Timothy 1.1, 1, 1, I think, points out, it's not just like, I hope it doesn't rain for the party tomorrow. It's different. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope? Does that sound ambiguous or just maybe? No, see, biblical hope is a desire plus an expectation. We truly expect all of our desires concerning Christ to be true. So you have one type of hope. I hope my neighbor turns to Jesus to be saved. That's different that, than my hope 
in Jesus is to be saved. See, one is a maybe, the other is full expectation. And we should not be looking at the, you know, the world and its desires as some sort of thing to, to hope in. And I really do not like giving this verse sometimes, especially when Denny's in the room. I'll explain in a minute. First Timothy six seventeen instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Do you see the difference? One is a certain there's the uncertainty of riches, but the hope in God is steadfast. And the reason I mentioned this, Denny, I had one chance to finally ace my last exam in the three year program in your class, the pastoral epistles, Timothy, I mean. And there was one blank left. There was one blank left. And it came to the uncertainty of riches, and I could not get it. And you even let me go play ping pong to see if I could remember it, but I put in, like, deceitfulness. He says, if you can go find any version that says that I'll give it to you, I couldn't do it. It's, it's 32 years ago. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't. I, I've forgotten all about it. Uh, so, but... Back to our point. No matter how dark the situation, I forgot to hit this thing. Well, there's nothing on the screen to hit, actually. Okay. We, we know how God works, and especially I'm speaking to the youth. You're going to hear these verses over and over again in your life, but they've got to become just more than, oh, there's that verse. It has to be, these are anchor stones, anchor lines that keep you from being, you know, drifting away in a storm. They, they have to become a mantra for you because of their really true concerning uh, hope. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, that you may be able to endure it. Look how much hope you can have in that. I mean, it's an amazing thing to have hope in, a desire plus expectation. And then no matter what is occurring, whatever trial... James 1, 1 through 3, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greeting. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. See, these are wonderful things you got to hold on to like anchor ropes in, in this world. But since we biblical hope is desire plus expectation, that means our expectations really need to be realistic. And since hope involves expectation, it must be realistic. <clears throat> it's one of the first things I churches, uh, teach, especially in marriage counseling, have realistic expectations concerning your marriage. And so this is actually a story I heard from O.F. Dick Case when he was the director. And I, I mean, I've heard it so many times that it morphs, I, I mean, embellishment takes place. So I can't remember exactly all the stuff on it, but this is, this is kind of how it goes. He talked about a monkey, a monkey that loved lettuce. And a zookeeper that knew this monkey loved a head of lettuce. You give that monkey lettuce, I'm only just chomping into that wet, you know, tasty. It did just go crazy consuming the lettuce. But it did love green bananas more. And so what the, the zookeeper does, he's the, the monkey's over there, he's behind a tree. He shows the monkey some green bananas. Here you go, green bananas. So the monkey woohoo, you know, super excited. Going to get you know green bananas. I love green bananas. Well, he puts a pail over the green bananas, slides behind the tree, switches it with a head of lettuce, which the monkey loves. Loves it. Slides it back out, leaves the cage. The monkey comes over, picks up that thing, sees lettuce. 
I mean, even though the monkey loves lettuce, what does it do? The monkey's enraged. It tears the lettuce apart. It strews it across the cage. It defecates on the lettuce. It's mad. And it loved lettuce. But what was the problem? The monkey was expecting the bananas. See, this is what can happen in life. The devil says, I can get them to hate even what they love if I give them unrealistic expectations. And so therefore, we have got to find hope in the crucial area of being in a partnership of God who will give us realistic expectations. And then we won't be disappointed because we expect these things uh, to happen. You know, when we encounter darkness in a, you know, in a place we don't expect it, then we can get upset. Well, what we need to do is have God formulate these expectations through his word, through the history, through all these, you know, these wonderful stories that we read. So when we see something, we're ready. And we're not going to have, you know, fall on our face. And ironically, sometimes we'll discover light in the dark world and the dark world giving light. Hmm, what's the irony there? Let me give you an illustration. <clears throat> We're privileged with you know, Bear Valley. Bob Turner asked us to oversee uh, the Bear Valley, Bear Valley Bible Institute of Cameroon Mota II. And so we've been doing that for years and years. I've gone over there several times. But you've probably heard the phrase, you know, in the deepest, darkest place in Africa, you know, something happens, right? Well, here's like you can see on the screen, it is pretty dark in Africa. I mean, and there's darkness for a reason. Yes, the... You know, the early mortality rates, the extra diseases, the civil wars, the tribal uh, wars, uh, you know, dangerous tra transportation. Uh, like in Cameroon right now, there's the Anglophone crisis. It, they all look the same. And they're all, you know, West Africans, but some speak English, some speak French, and there's a civil war over that stuff. And so, yep, things can get tough in Africa. And so I decided to go over there to Africa, you know, to teach. I developed some, of, you know, some curricula for the Bear Valley Extension Schools. I'm going to, go, going to go over there to teach it. So I went over, and this, you know, this place, you can see the pointer, you know, it's about right there. Really close to the equator. I mean, it's humid. Like, you guys enjoy wonderful low dew points here. We've been just relishing it. 80 degrees with a 36 dew point? It's perfect. You go back to you know, Minnesota and be 80 with an 80 dew point, and you are miserable in the exact same temperature. You know, so I was over there, and the clouds are the same. You know, there's hills, and the clouds are the same level you are. It's so humid. You know, it's so humid, they don't have a word for humidity. I was trying to explain it to them. You know, saturated water vapor in the air. Rain? No, no, no. Humidity. They couldn't get it. I quit trying to explain it because then it's so normal. But for me, I suffer with humidity horribly. You can put me in a hot sun, I'm fine. You put me... Uh, in a dry sauna, I'm fine if you put me in a sauna, it's humid. I mean, 68 and humid, I'm sweating profusely. And so I'm over there, I step off the plane, it's just unreal, humid. And I'm hot, I mean, my hair was not dry the entire you know, span. I, was, I never had dry hair one day, one minute. I was, it was so wet. And so, and a long way, the director's taking me to his place, and I am sweating, and I got to sleep in this room. 
I've already had, it's been 30 hours to get from my door to his door. You know, super hot, dusty, you know, you know, filthy. And I'm in there, and it's like a heat box, a hot box, a designed hot box of torture. <laughs> and so the bed, it's just got wooden slats with a foam rubber. You know how hot foam rubber can be. When you have. And so they had four pillows on there. And, I, and I'm sitting there saying, I am suffering. I am really suffering. And fortunately, they had like 20 1.5 liter bottles lined up on the wall. They had a fan that worked once in a while when they had electricity. But I'm sweating so profusely in the night. I'm actually, I, I was laying like this. And I looked at the edge of the pillow. It's going drip, drip, drip. I exchanged the pillow, new one. After another half hour, drip, drip, drip. And I'd go over to the wall, stagger to the wall, take a 1.5 liter. Done. And so I'm there. I go to the bathroom. They have a bathroom there. That's good. That's kind of amazing. Doesn't have a toilet seat. And so I go back in. I and this is literally what I am thinking. I said, Lord, I want to survive this week. I just let me breathe. I want to breathe. Because it's like having a hot pillow in front of your face all the time. It never goes away. And I'm highly averse to it. But and so there I am saying, I just want to survive it. It's so shallow. Where do you find the darkness? Sometimes you find the darkness inside of you. The deepest, darkest thing in Africa, I think, probably was me. <laughs> and so you experience the love of these brethren. I mean, I'm sleeping on a bed. Why am I? They've got, that's a bedroom for their five kids. Now all of them are in the other room, all together in one bed. And I've got their bed. And I kept knocking on the doors, only this tall. I kept knocking on the bathroom door to see if anyone's in there. I said, wow, I mean, you guys, do you ever use the bathroom? He says, oh, no, no, no. The whole time you're here, we don't use our bathroom. We go outside. The love of the brethren. I've got people carrying a fan wherever I go. It doesn't matter where I sit, they put a fan on me. They get it going. They are caring. They would sing these wonderful, along with children, these wonderful Christian hymns, these girls. I would say, please just sing. And they'd have a three. And I, it was wonderful. And so by the end of the week, though, instead of me saying, Lord, can I just survive this? I said, Lord, I'm thriving in this because of the love of the brethren, the fellowship and the stimulating of love and good deeds that is taking place. The darkness was in me. It wasn't in Africa. That's just in me, the, the spoiled, pampered American. Well, we have to understand realistic expectations. You're not going to find hope in the dark world. Just like in Africa, you find hope where God is working in his word with his people. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 just worked wonderfully on me that time. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking your own assembly together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Yes, that's where it takes place, and that's where it's going to take place for you young people. You want to find hope? Be with God's people. Be with the Christians. Spend time with them. Be involved in their lives. You're not supposed to be finding all this hope in the dark world. The hope is in Christ, where his people uh, are. Therefore, the darkness doesn't, doesn't really reside in physical conditions. 
It's in, it's in sin. That's where darkness is. And sometimes that sin is within ourselves. Let me give you another illustration. Like I've been, I was flying over the Atlantic. And I'm sitting there in a jet going 600 miles an hour in a chair with an air conditioning vent on me. I'm actually on my computer. I'm on the Internet. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? I'm a big fan of Iowa wrestling, so I'm watching Iowa wrestling. And all of a sudden, it's choppy. And I go, oh, this is a bummer. What garbage. I can't even get a, a good stream while I'm over the ocean flying across up at 20,000 feet. Uh, you just realize the darkness is here. That's because if you let sin you know, creep in, that's where it's going to be. Romans 6, 2, may it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? That's where you'll find darkness, is the sin that is within us and other people. John 3.19 says, And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. So the first thing we have to form is realistic expectations. Don't be bummed about the world, because the expectations are perfectly with what God said the world would be. It's exactly how he described it. It's no different. What's happened in the past is happening in the future, just like... uh, in uh, Ecclesiastes, you know, the real area of darkness is because of sin. Have you ever noticed this verse? We've seen, we sing it all the time. Peace, perfect peace in this dark world of sin. The blood of Jesus whispers peace within. Have you ever noticed the question mark? It's actually the first thing is asking a question. Peace, perfect peace in this dark world of sin? No, you're not going to find it there. The blood of Jesus whispers peace within. So there's going to be darkness in the world because there is sin there. That's a realistic expectation. Sin entered in through, of course, Adam and Eve, and they didn't fully trust God's word. Think about this. This is the world we live in because of sin. Have realistic expectations. The first person born killed the second person born. Sin. That's what it does. And it got to the point, Genesis 6, 5, Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's an emphatic statement. Was that way because sin had taken over the world. Have proper expectations when you look at the world, the future, etc., and you won't be thrown apart, you know, torn apart. And so it's it's hard. Uh, I want to you know talk about the expectations when you see sin. Oh, I can't believe our society is do this. Oh, I can't believe they passed that law. Oh, I can't believe that this is you know allowed. And we start getting down in the dumps. Don't. It's only proving God's word is true. It's just like he said it. It's validating every scripture when you see sin causing problems and darkness. That's what God said it would be. That's how it was in the past. That's how it's going to be in the present. That's how it's going to be uh, in in the future. Think of this verse, James 3.16. Do you know of any place where there's jealousy or any selfish ambition? 
says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. Oh, there's plenty of that. Therefore, what are you going to see? Darkness there in sin. That's only validating God's word. It's only showing that he's true again. It's only showing that he's exactly correct. Therefore, you can put your hope in Christ. Don't put hope in the world's performance. You're going to be greatly disappointed. As a matter of fact, you've got to start finding comfort in the minority. Everyone just, you get on social media, you get a whole bunch of likes, you get a few dislikes, you're bummed. We want to be popular and stuff like that. I'm telling you right now, you must change your paradigm. You need to find comfort in the minority instead of the majority. Because it's the, the minority is where it's at. And God has always said that. Think of this verse, the whole planet. 1 Peter 3, 20 through 21. Talk about the days of the flood. Who were once disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. And corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Eight people, folks. That's the minority. That's the proper expectation. It's always going to be a minority. It's always been that way, even with God's people. That's how it is. Notice the verse. Romans 9, 27. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, it is the remnant that will be saved, even of God's people. Don't find comfort in the majority. Whatever other church is doing it does not matter. Sometimes you have to look at, oh, no, I need to be afraid because now it seems like we're in the majority with most things with everybody. It's actually probably a, prob a problem. And notice what Jesus said in Matthew 7 concerning realistic expectations as you look at the performance of the world concerning his word and who's going to be saved. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many are those who enter by it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it. You know, young folks, did it say few are those who go through that smaller gate? It doesn't say that. It says few are those who find it, let alone decide to go through it. Find comfort in the minority, that you're different than the rest of society, that your expectations are different than theirs. Don't find comfort in numbers, but find hope in God's promises, for the promise is never that most people will get on board. It's not true. It never will be true. Don't kill hope by hoping for the impossible. And therefore, you're, you bring a realistic expectation that God has delivered to you and handed to you through his word and principles. You're not going to be a person who gets down in the dumps as much. You're not going to be just, you know, get crushed by things that happen. You're going to say, yeah, God's word is true again. This is what I would expect when sin hit, hits a certain arena. This is what I would expect when lawlessness takes over, you know, an institution. These things happen. That's how you find hope. You find hope in God's word, not hope in the performance of the world. Sometimes we get in our minds, though, oh, God, if you'd only do this, it'd get better. You, I'm sure all of you are familiar with Elijah taking on the over 850 false prophets of Ahab, the various types of false gods. You know the story, right? Where Elijah... He designs a system. 
I am going to do a great miracle that shows that we're greater than the false prophets. Then Israel will rally to us once I prove it. And so the great altar, calling down fire from the sky, wet it down, wet it all you want, and God consumes it. And the other one, they, they try all day to get their false gods to bring down fire, and they can't do it. And Elijah is, you know, my suspicion, strong suspicion, he's thinking, and then he kills all those. He shows his conviction. He kills, he chops up the, the false prophets. So he's thinking, now Israel's going to come. Now they're going to rally behind me. I'm going to do better than my fathers did. Look at what we just did. This is going to show the one true God, Yahweh, and they're going to rally and throw the bells and all the other ones away. We, I got this. What happens? It's a disaster. Ahab and Jezebel want to kill him. He plunges into some form of repression, depression. He runs all the way down to Bathsheba, and angels got to help him. He just retreats. He's afraid. Think about it. He was afraid after what he had done. And then he goes all the way. You know, God has him go to Mount uh, Hebron where they had the... Uh, uh, is that right? Mount Hebron. My glitch, where the Ten Commandments were given. So, uh, and so there he is. And he and God comes and asks, What are you doing here? He says, I, I alone have escaped. The prophets of Baal are on the rise. I. I alone, I, I'm alone and left. It's a, it's a sad story. You see this verse, and what came about when Elijah heard it, they wrapped his face in his mantle, went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Then he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, torn down thine altars, and killed thy prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. What happened right here? God came outside with, you know, strong earthquake, you know, fire. I mean, it was amazing what God was doing outside. But, but it, you know, the text emphatically says that God was not in uh, any of those things. He was not in the wind, not in the earthquake, and he wasn't in the fire. But then a gentle breeze comes, and God speaks. So I wanted to read this uh, aspect that I put in the manuscript. It says, Elijah said the exact thing twice, as if it answered God's query into what he was doing there. It wasn't the real reason. He was afraid because his hope was based on the false idea that people would change when he performed his miracle his way. And when the gentle breeze, uh, excuse me, and then with the gentle breeze, God speaks his truth. God reveals to him there are 7,000 people he has left that have not bowed the knee to Baal. He now informs Elijah that he's basically retiring him and is subsequently going to replace him with Elisha. Elijah, I suspect he's thinking, is there anywhere in the text, anywhere that hints it was God's idea to bring down fire? None. It's, it's Elijah's. If I just do it this way, the people will repent. If I just do this spectacular thing and prove it, they'll rally behind me with this great miracle. It wasn't true. See, we often do the same thing. 
if God would only do this, if he'd only get, you know, say this or just do this little thing, then we'd have so many more people. You don't find God in the spectacular things like, you know, he said here, you know, with the wind, the earthquake, the fire, you find him in the gentle breeze of his word and it's speaking. Says his word spoken with the sound of a gentle breeze is more powerful than any of those things, and that is where our hope should be. We shouldn't put our hope in people or the short-lived effects of miracles or big events. The fickleness of people is never where our hope should be placed, but in the timeless truths God revealed to us from long ago. Especially young, young people, this is designed for, you've got to go into life with realistic expectations. You're not going to be a part of the majority. Be afraid if you're a part of the majority. And wherever that sin is, there's going to be darkness, just like God said. Realistic expectations. Even Elijah trying to do some custom-made miracle that would was a flop. You just can't. People have free will, and the effects of short of miracles are short-lived. It's proved over and over uh, again. And how much was Elijah off? Here's a... Hope knows God is up to far more than what we see, than, than what we see here. This is the truth. I mean, how off was Elijah? He was only off by a factor of 7,000. I alone am left. There were 7,000. Only off by 7,000. Factor. And that's how it is going to be today. We can all slip into hopelessness thinking God's works were only happening in the past. They're basically all dead and we're just headed on a path of gloom and doom. And for, again, the young people who are so adept at social media, if you have phones, I don't know what you're allowed to be on. But social media is always trying to convince you that things are worse than what they actually are. Satan wants you to feel hopeless, like hopeless about this country. Just everything is bad. It's only going to be horrible. You need to have realistic expectations. It doesn't matter how bad the country is getting. God has his core that he's always working with and doing amazing things. Things that are super important to him. Like you have a widow giving a mite and a little piece of copper. In the days of the Roman Empire, all these amazing battles taking place, that's what is seen that day. And the same thing is occurring today. Don't think that your country is just getting thrown away. It's now useless. We're so, I have no hope. It's, it's not true. Now, maybe you've been feeling a little hopeless about things. Just understand, you know, this was never a Christian nation. I hear sometimes brethren talk like it was. But the members of the church never dominated the population, nor the politics or anything. There's, a, there's some Bible-based things, of course, that have been used in the past. But the Constitution is secular. The way the people go, the way the country goes. Have realistic expectations. But there's always God at work, and that's what you have to have. I'm going to be a part of that remnant that is working. I'm going to be part of that small group that God uses for his glory and his kingdom, despite all the crazy things that are happening uh, around me. For example, this uh, I will sometimes hear brethren you know, who were in the 50s say how much the church was exploding. I mean, as far as numbers, there was far much more faith back then. Uh, 
One thing is true, the percentage of Christians, members of the church, may be smaller uh, uh, as far as the population. But isn't it also true that since the 1950s, we've more than doubled in population? I guarantee you that means there's probably more faithful people now than there ever was before. There's more to work with as far as sheer numbers than ever before. Be a part of that number. I I found this uh, poll back in in March interesting. This recent poll found that 72% believe America's moral compass is pointed the wrong direction. 60% of Americans will still attend church in the year. 86% of Americans pray for family members. 70% feel we would be better off if we prayed for each other. And a whopping 92% believe in the golden rule of Christ. It's hard to find anything else Americans agree on more than that. That means there's still a core that God can work with, even those who are just believers, you know, but they're not saved members of the church. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Don't go, woe is me, the country's lost. It's just a hopeless... No. History goes and ebbs and flows. A lot of faith, little faith. A lot of faith, little faith. This is how it works. But no matter what, you can be a part of that saving faith of helping other people, glorifying God in your little minority. God's always used the minority. Be happy to be in the minority. Be afraid if you're in the majority. That's the truth of our existence. Therefore, let's have hope that God is always working even in this dark world of sins. There are victories going on every single day. Amazing things that we're just not privy to. Just like Elijah, I alone am left. You dummy, there's 7,000 out there that I'm working with. And don't be too hard on yourself. It's not like you know Elijah thinking he got all depressed and he's alone. Did God just throw him away as far as heavens? Uh, you're... No, he takes him up in the whirlwind. I mean, don't throw yourself away either if you've had some hopelessness. Just change your expectations. It's only validating God's word. It just means you're a part of the minority. And God is working with you know, his view that he always has been. And it's 100% your choice. You know, in the most physically periling times, God still loves you and is working just as hard. He loves you just as much as any of the other people in history. And this this is a sobering verse. It's true. I mean, it's it's wonderful and sobering at the same time. Who shall separate from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for thy sake, we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquered through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's amazing that all those things can't separate us from the love of God. It's also amazing that they're all allowed to happen to Christians. It's true. That's your realistic expectation. There can be persecution, distress, famine, nakedness, perils. But the expectation is not that these things won't happen to you. 
the full biblical hope, desire, and expectations that God will love you and work with you through the whole thing and make you better. He has not abandoned you. <clears throat> what is consistently true, no matter how dark things may seem, is that God is doing this. I'm sure it's a verse used by numerous speakers you know, during this lectureship. But it's true. Don't ignore it. This needs to be repeated. Because it's absolutely true for your life. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And it won't be good concerning unrealistic expectations that you have concerning fleshly things. It's the good concerning your spirit, God's kingdom, his glory, etc. And hang on to that verse. Here's another thing, young people. You know, one thing that I really miss is what you young people have is the ability to have super long, deep sleep. I just remember that, especially. You'd work out as a teenager, especially. You'd go home. Uh, after a football game, I'd go home. I'd collapse for 18 hours. You know, just super deep, deep slumber, okay? Well, while you're in that wonderful deep slumber that all of us adults envy, I want you to think about something as far as a realistic expectation. Psalm 127.2, It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labels, uh, labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. While you're snoozing, oblivious, and in bliss, your God is working for you, and that's what you can have hope in. What else does he have to do but to work with his family and make it work out for your spiritual good, the kingdom? It's a dark world. That's because sin is there. Eradicate as much sin as you can from your life. Have realistic expectations. And God will uh, work with you. Uh, one of the most important verses I ever learned was, Denny's here again, it was Proverbs 16.3. I mean, it has been an anchor for me and the people that I teach for the decades I've been doing it, and I say it a lot. You've got to get yourself in line with God's will and how he wants things done. You, as young people, you've got a choice of a hundred doors to go through. All hundred doors are within the parameter of God's will. But you have all these choices that are outside of his will that you can't do. Don't be worried, so worried about finding the one specific right door as if there's only one door that can be taken when God's put a thousand in front of you and because he's not going to leave a message under your pillow at night. You're not going to receive a text. That's the right decision. The, the best one. It's never going to happen. Proverbs 16.3, Commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. Get within the parameters, and then if it's within God's will, He's going to make it work out. Now that's having hope in a dark world. The world doesn't have that hope. God's not working for them. He's not making it all you know, take place, but He is with you. If you are a young, faithful person who loves God. Now... Are you going to be that young person that can see the light in this dark world? Are you going to be a young person that can discover the darkness in you? You don't throw yourself away. God doesn't throw you away if you see darkness in yourself. He will work with you and his light will shine on it to remove the darkness. 
Are you going to be a person with realistic expectations concerning what the world will deliver? Are you going to be a part of the solution by performing God's will joyously in your life? Or are you going to be someone who tries to fit everything that you want and make God's word try to fit it? Commit your works to the Lord. That's, and your plans will be established. Now that's hope in a dark world. And then you can fulfill this, our final verse for our session. 1 Peter 2.9 but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Be the light, young people. Yeah, I'm decades, decades ahead of you, old man, now going to be 60. The one thing I have for sure seen, those with the hope, no matter how dark it is around, that hope in Christ with realistic expectations they're the ones that God uses to accomplish you know, great things, you know, you know, big and small. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. I thank you for your time. Thank you.